Good morning and welcome to our Monday morning chapel. Uh, last week we concluded the Epiphany season and uh, there are now three weeks before the Lenten season begins. And uh, these are often called the Jesimas. Uh, uh, yesterday is, uh, was Septuagesima Sunday. So the pyramids have been changed and so on. We begin our worship today with turning to page 35 in the front part of the hymn book, page 35. And we'll use a few questions there, the first three questions under the Office of the Keys and Confession. So please join me with those. What is the Office of the Keys? The Office of the Keys is the special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of the penitent sinners, but to retain the sins of the impenitent as long as they do not repent. Where is this written? The evangelist writes, John 20, 22 to 23, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What is confession? Confession consists of two parts, one that we confess our sins, the other that we receive absolution or forgiveness from the pastor or confessor as from God himself. And in no way doubt, but firmly believe that our sins are thereby forgiven before God in heaven. We join in our hymn.
Our scripture reading for today is taken from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 9th verse. And Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Many years ago, when I first started teaching at Bethany, I was asked to give a talk one night at a Christian leadership conference we had here on campus. And I just made a side comment about different, uh, different character flaws that all of us can have and uh, whatever they are. But I, I mentioned that probably the hardest one for people to deal with is arrogance. Uh, if you think about arrogance, it's probably one of the most, most difficult and uncomfortable things to be around. And um, there are a lot of other, you know, laziness or sloppiness or being tardy and maybe having a weird laugh. There's a lot of other character flaws that can be, that can be difficult, but arrogance is probably the hardest one to be around. Well, the next day, a young lady who was at that talk that night came in to see me, and she said, you know, I've been told my whole life that I'm arrogant, and I never thought anything about it, but... I don't have any friends, and I never realized maybe that's the reason why. It is a, it is a difficult character flaw to, uh, to recognize in people and to struggle with and so on. Jesus teaches us the most important spiritual lesson about how we approach God, and he really is drawing upon this concept of spiritual arrogance before God, spiritual pride before God. He does it in the form of this parable. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. Now, his, his choice of characters is extremely important here. And there's a lesson in it for all of us, especially sitting here in here in chapel. The Pharisee is the one uh, who we might assume on the surface is the most religious. They were a very actively religious group in their culture. He's the type of person that would avoid crass evil in society and would speak against that. He would stand up for, stand up for biblical morality and want to see that brought back into society. He openly loves the things of God. He loves being around the things of God. He loves being in the temple. He loves going to the synagogue. He is probably a, very faithful to his wife, probably a good dad. And not only does he follow the commands of God, but he even excels at them and exceeds that. He pays attention to his tithing, how much he gives to God. He, he uh, makes sure to fast twice a week. He goes beyond what would have been expected even by the law. 
And when the Pharisee looks around at the other people in the culture with him, it's very easy for him to to recognize and spot how evil other people have become. And he's grateful for the fact, he's grateful, grateful to God for the fact that his life has managed to stay very morally pure and very clean. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm grateful that I'm not falling into all this wickedness that's out there in the world and people not caring about God. Now, it's not mere coincidence that Jesus selects this man to represent spiritual arrogance before God. There's no better place to find Pharisees than right here in this sanctuary. In the hearts of conservative, Bible-believing, morally upright people who are trying their best to live the way God wants, who care about his commands, and boy can clearly see how people don't do that, right even on this campus, right down the hall from us in the dormitory rooms, some of the ones we walk past on our way to chapel. It's very easy for us to to fall into this same problem. I know it sure is for myself. This campus is a perfect garden to grow self-righteousness. This pulpit has miracle grow in it. This is, this is the place where we need to be careful of this sin of spiritual pride and arrogance. And boy, society today, with all of its trouble, provides you and me with many opportunities to be able to look at ourselves and say, man, I am so glad I'm not like these wicked people out there. I am so glad that I have kept my life so pure. There should be more people like me. Just think how much better off this culture would be if there were more people like us. Just think, just think how much better the church would be and the kingdom of God would be if more members in our church took God as seriously as I do and gave as much to the church as I do. Just think how much better our culture would be if everybody raised their kids as well as I do. God, I am so thankful that I am not like these other people out there. Sound familiar? We can even be proud of our, of our humility. <laughs> I remember years ago, uh, I was talking to a woman who had joined a church not too many years earlier. It was full of a lot of Norwegians. And she was talking about the quality of the people there. And she said, Norwegian people are, are very humble. And they're very proud of it. And I think there's some, truth, there's some truth to that. Notice what Jesus says at the end of this section. He says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Humbled, that meaning, as he says here, that you don't go back to your house justified. Now, in order to exaggerate and really put a spotlight on this point for us to learn from, he takes somebody who was the lowest scum of the earth in their society and uses him as a picture of someone to teach us, people like us, how to approach God. He picks a, a tax collector, someone that was known for skimming off the top and stealing from people. Somebody that the people would have certainly had an easy time looking down on and despising. But this man now comes before God, hides in the shadows of the temple, 
and he beats his breast, a sign of being ashamed of himself, loathing his own sin. And he just pleads to God this simple prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, here is the very strange twist of Christianity. True godliness before God, true godliness begins with admitting to how ungodly you are. That just flips everything on the head from what the world would tell us. To be considered right with God begins by recognizing and admitting how not right you are with God and therefore clinging only to his compassionate and merciful heart. The tax collector comes before God in his prayer. He makes no pretense about his situation. There's no comparing himself to others. The focus is all here. It's all on himself, on his own life, and his lack of morality and goodness. He makes no attempts to bargain with God. He doesn't try to deal anything with God or barter with him. His only hope at all is that God will have a compassionate heart. His only hope is that God can be merciful. Really, if you think about it, this man is coming before God only through the foot of the coming cross of Christ, which is really the only place that any of us have any hope of standing in God's favor, is through the cross of Christ. Down at the bottom of that cross where his holy blood drips to the ground, and was shed for all of our sins, to pay for all of our wickedness, even our arrogance, even our lack of humility, even our pride in our humility. That holy blood of Christ was shed there to wash that all away. And to think how large the heart of God is towards sinners, that this man, despised by society, coming in repentance, we're told he went home to his house justified. Years ago, there was a pastor that used to preach in this pulpit a lot, Norman Madsen, and he used an illustration frequently that I often like in reading his sermons. And he says, imagine a woman that has two sons, and one son is just despicable and horrible and lives this difficult life and is just always getting into trouble, and the other is very upright and fine. And as they both move out of the house and go on with their lives, and the one keeps getting into trouble, which one do you think is really weighing on the heart of the mother the most? And he used to say, if a a sinful human mother can have that kind of compassion and love and mercy for her child that is so wicked and sinful, where, where that love comes from in the heart of God must be so much greater and so much bigger toward us. The Bible tells us the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So along with all of the other sinners in the, in the group of God's saints, come into the temple, go back into the shadows in your heart, beat your own breast, and pray to God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and approach him only through the cross, and you will go home to your house justified in the eyes of God. Amen. Please rise. Lord, we pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit through your word, you would continue to stir up true faith in our hearts, that we continually recognize our our lack of goodness before you, and that it's only through what Christ has done for us that we stand before you as your forgiven children worthy of heaven. 
Keep us always mindful of this throughout our lives, that we may someday stand in your presence. Amen. Thank you.